This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Ramya. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI's on-air community, and everyone's invited. To you who joins us here on Kelly and Ramya, and it's a pleasure to be with you as we spend the next two hours together getting through some fantastic, inclusive content on the show. I'm Ramia Amadin here in Toronto at the AMI Studios with this set behind us that we've been describing to the audience uh, throughout the week because it's been nice, it's new to us, and so we want to share with you. I sit behind a white oblong table in the shape of a pretty long uh, surfboard and behind me is the set with the curtain that has the display of the Canadian or <laughs> I did this again Toronto skyline the downtown skyline in Toronto as well as pillars physical pillars that are tall and rectangular and lit up in purple and white over to London Ontario for Kelly McDonald to introduce a little bit about his set hello Good day, good day all. Hope everybody's having a grand Thursday. And I am today sitting here with, of course, the normal fedora on today, a black one, uh, a multicolored dress shirt on, sitting here with some circles and a, a, a variety of colors. Uh, behind me, our, our backdrop, the CN Tower over my left shoulder, and it's the outline of the uh, skyline of uh, Toronto. So uh, messing around with that stuff just to kind of mm. bring you that feel of what, what, what we're all about here and ready to rock and roll a Thursday edition. Now, you said you were wearing a colorful shirt, Kels. Is that, uh, do you enjoy color? Do you enjoy color in your fashion? Um, I can't see it enough anymore, right? Mm. Well, it used to be great for picking out a shirt. Oh, this shirt. I, I Now I go a lot by touch. Um, and I remember as a kid, I'd get confused because I'd have dress shirts in my closet and I'd also have pajamas. And I remember one time grabbing a pajama shirt and going out and <laughs> mom looking at me and saying, and what are you doing that for? And I said, what? It's my well, why are you wearing statement. the pajama shirt? Well, then I got all paranoid. Any dress shirt that didn't have a pocket, this one doesn't have one on the front, on the breast pocket, and I would get all panicked. Hey, it's a pajama shirt, and it still <laughs> lingers. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. Uh, moms kind of ruined things for you because I, I remember the same thing. Like, I used to have just favorite clothes, right? This is my favorite top, or, or when I get something new, I'd wear it all the time. And then my mom's like, you know, it's got a big rip in it but I had no clue, and who knows how long it's been on, and she's like, time to toss it. Um, but yeah. it, it scars you, like, those experiences. Well, I have, and sometimes you're silly, and you go and yeah. put it back in because you don't want to part with it. You, well, I I, there's got to be another use. I'll wear it just around home, and next time you'll be out again. I see you got that ripped shirt on again. What, yeah. what mom? Yeah, so many stories like that. But I ask because I'm wearing a gray knitted sweater today, um, and I love wearing my grays and blacks. So I'm trying to get more color in because, you know, it pops. It pops. Yeah. Well, I think I, I tend to like the stuff that just tends to match more. And especially sure. if I try throwing hats in, sometimes you hit. Sometimes you don't. Mm -hmm. Well, we have two hours to hang out with our friends who are joining us. So let's find out what's coming up on the show. Our bestie in the UK, Fern Lullum, is going to join us for her appearance, and she's talking about her journey and progress becoming a counsellor. 
We made a recent switch in our schedule, ladies and gentlemen. Well, what it means is we'll be able today to talk about what's trending in food and beverage in 2023 as Mary Mammolini joins us again for her weekly segment. She's from Kitchen Confession, and we have our normal segment that we'll get to today. Something that hasn't changed is the weekly roundtable that Kelly McDonald will facilitate later on in hour two. And John Melville, our VP of Content Development and Programming at AMI, is going to be our guest for today. Mm. That's a surprise content during that conversation. Before we exit out and get into our first guest, let's talk about a couple things. One person mm -hmm. has been seriously injured after explosions and a fire at a hazardous waste facility in St. Catharines, Ontario. We know the patient is conscious, but has received significant burns. It was a, a gentleman that was working there. Um, we don't know how he received the burns. We just know upon arrival he had significant burns. EMS transported him. That was Fire Chief Dave Upper, and he says crews responded to a working fire at Sonics Products just after 6.30 a.m. this morning. Uh, it spread to an industrial building to its east, and Upper says that the man who he was talking about was the only person injured at the time of the explosions. Kelly, this is terrifying for me. Now, I don't know, mm. I've never really calculated my fear for fires, but I just, when I think of hazardous things going on, whether it be residential neighborhoods or anytime you hear a siren um, when you're at home or on the way to something, I just, my imagination goes wild as to what is going on, who may be hurt, are they getting uh, the attention that they need, and it's terrifying when we get the details like this. Yeah, at the best of times, I hate hearing a siren because, you know, no, it's something not good. Uh, hopefully things work out and, and it's not too bad and people are just being precautionary. But when you hear multitudes of them, um, have you ever heard a, a, an explosion? No, I have not, no. other than television. You okay. have, right? Um, I have. I've, I've been around for controlled blasts from a, a building being taken down in an implosion. Mm -hmm. I've also heard tires explode from fires. Um, and, and especially when I was doing blindsided, we shot some things where there were a couple of times where things exploded while we were while we were doing the show, which was meant to be. And I, re, I I've recently there was a, a, an issue in a parking garage nearby where cars were on fire. So some explosions uh, of tires happened there. Ever felt an earthquake? No, not even that. We've had earthquakes, wow. so I've never felt it. Right there in Toronto, yes. when we had an office on the third floor, uh, I remember being at my desk there, and one day it felt like the building was dancing, and that was a tremor. We were sitting there, and you could, oh, what, what is that? Yeah. People saying, and it was just, and yet some of us knew, oh, it's an earth tremor. Others were really stymied. So uh, all that, just to add up to say, yeah, very unsettling. Yeah. It, it, the, Hearing things um, on clips, like news clips and such, it doesn't do justice to actually being there and experiencing the tremors or even as people describe firsthand how they mm. felt when things e go on. Even with them recording everything yes. now. And nowadays you get almost firsthand from yeah. uh, dash cams or people's cells. Yeah, but not much. Taking a break now and coming back with Mike Fair because he's featuring the newest installment of the Chillin' and Sixpence series after the break on Kelly and Romeo. Don't miss a minute. Kelly and Ramya will be right back.
entertainment and accessible technology are increasingly important in our lives. I'm Mike Fair, here to help you make the most out of your devices. We'll share tech tips and product reviews. Plus, I'll steer you towards the best accessible games, audio dramas, and podcasts. We'll talk about it all here on Kelly and Ramya. So, Mike, you bring a ton to this show, a plethora of things. Audio entertainment is pretty much anything and everything. And we've talked to gamings, audiobooks, uh, audio dramas, all kinds of companies doing inclusive audio experiences for the community. So it's nice to have you back. Hello. And Michael's Hi. book. And Michael's book, too. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Oh, tech is a whole nother realm. Now that book has spawned a course, which has taken over good swaths of time. Amazing. Yeah, you're all over social and always connecting with people, Mike. So it's nice to have you as a resource on the show. Longtime listeners may remember that, Michael, you told us about Chilling and Sixpence Investigate. Um, Big Finish recently released a second of the series called Chilling and Sixpence Series 2. How fitting. In loving memory. So give us a refresher on uh, the first one. What makes Chilling, Chilling and Sixpence unique? Well, it all started uh, quite a long time ago. They've been doing this for years and years. Uh, it basically is a group of actors that travel on to different venues in London, and that can be unusual, everything from pubs to t- train stations to all kinds of different places where they perform uh, these theatrical sort of uh, productions about these characters that they've developed uh, basically uh, in this setting uh, the, the characters Schilling and Sixpence are the main two, and they're kind of a, a couple that are de- kind of de- have become detectives, they, uh, and they kind of get into all kinds of mystery solving, fun, and different things like that. And uh, so it, it's really neat. They, Big Finish discovered these uh, these this acting uh, phenomenon and brought these people in. And said, "Hey, what about doing like a, a more formal kind of audio drama series?" And so they did a first series as one of their originals. And uh, it really, I thought, was one of the better ones. Uh, And uh, now, thankfully, I have a second dose. They brought it back for a second series. Mm. So, Mike, are there differences between the Big Finish sets and what you would experience if you were at one of the live performances? Yeah, the live performances are much more kind of, there's more room for ad-libbing, and there's they tend to veer into more sort of risque comedy and uh, supernatural heavy kind of plots. Whereas as big mm-hmm. finish uh, tend to be a bit darker, a bit, uh, a bit, um, a bit more restrained uh, in some ways, uh, but also uh, more, uh, of course, the polish of, of uh, you, you're able to edit what you say, the polish of soundscaping, professional sound design and music, you know, it's uh, they, they get all of those assets brought in uh, because of, of the Big Finish connections. So it's it's an interesting dichotomy. It definitely is. I'm I'm curious about um, you know what makes that difference. Now I'm having troubles with my script. So what else do you want to talk about? Well, uh, th- there's the main characters here. Uh, the two are uh, Desmond Schilling, who is a, uh, a, a basically a, an English teacher. And uh, he has been sort of hired in the first series by uh, Miss Lavilia Sixpence, who is uh, the headmistress of a school for girls. So he's, he's teaching these girls. And through that association, uh, they start to encounter strange things that uh, are turned out to be mysteries and conspiracies in this small village of 
uh, uh, Morlington is, is the main setting. It's a small Cornish village, fictional. So there, all the characters are kind of based there. Uh, another main character is Inspector Arthur Cribbage. He's a local constable, kind of a country police detective uh, in a small village. And, and he, these conspiracies can, uh, can range far beyond what a, a, a typical constable, a typical cop on the beat would experience. <laughs> so uh, he, those are the kind of the three main heroes. And you sort of follow them as they interact with all the different characters in the, in the village and in other venues that they, uh, they travel to. Okay. So where does the oh, new series cool. take us then, Mike? Well, the new series is a bit more expansive. Uh, it, bring, it starts in Mornington in, in, in a mine, as, as it happens, uh, with a grisly discovery of a skeleton. But it moves from there uh, off to London briefly and then uh, to a Scottish uh, castle, uh, Connaught Castle in Scotland, where the, finan- the, the kind of everything comes to a head and, and questions are answered and mysteries are are solved, so it's a bit more of a of a traveling journey than most uh, than the previous series uh, was, but uh, boy, uh, it's it's they're they're neat. All the all the work has has been excellent in terms of the sound and the and the setting. That's amazing. That really is. I find it interesting when you have a character like Cribbage, like you were saying a while ago, you have to have that character that gets around that, that is more, you know, you may say nah, that wouldn't happen to a constable on the beat, but you need that for the effect of it too. And, and what things it allows you to do in places you can put that character. Mike, how long is the series? Well, the total series is about 265 minutes, but that includes about 40 minutes of extras and each track there are three different tracks each track is about an hour uh and and uh, 15 like an hour and a quarter we'll say and it's divided into two kind of sections that are roughly 40 or so minutes each 30 or 40 minutes so that all adds up to 265 minutes total of material that's not bad it's a very digestible length eh? yeah it's it's short enough to be enjoyed as we did over an evening oh okay wow yeah so that is the- great and you kind of been comparing the the two, um, you know, the second series and the first one. So, what's the overall tone of this series? Think of it like a, a afternoon movie for adults. Well, not a, it's not a kids movie by any means, uh, and and you know there are some theme, themes discussed, mature themes and stuff. But everything is kind of it doesn't get overly graphical with the sound and the gore. It's it, everything has that kind of almost a, a afternoon movie quality uh, is, is what I tend to think of it. So uh, it's, it's, it, it can get dark in places, but there are a lot of laughs, a lot of comedy as well. Okay. You, you notice, Michael, one of the things that I think when we ask you the question, which we will get into the sound and the music, but nowadays when we talk about these things, because sound is, is so important to these and everybody is, when you create something, using it, we're more talking about, how much we all know about ambience making it feel really good like when you have headsets on you're there or on, or on a sound system that's the the target to, to make someone be able to enjoy it like that if you're not using some fancy sound system or, or something or headsets you still can and have fun with it but wow it's more like a more or less was there a lot of music wasn't there did they utilize it well and sound is almost a given so we'll ask you of course what did you think of sound and music Matt, uh, Nigel, Nigel Ferris did a really good job of uh, of the sound design. He did a lot, and he wrote 
uh, the, the series, helped write, helped produce, and did the sound design and acted. Uh, it's just crazy what he managed to do. And it, the sound is really enveloping. It, it draws you in. Uh, you know, as I say, kind of a TV quality rather than a movie sort of enveloping quality, but really kind of nicely handled and puts you right in the space. And uh, he did uh, really well with things like you get little flashbacks of audio that might not make sense where they're placed, but later on you realize, oh, that was what that was about. And they're kind of snuck in there. And then you have the ghostly narrator and, and the kind of echoey reverb mm-hmm. of that. And so it really gives it a supernatural bend that works really nicely through the whole thing. It was it was a masterful, masterful thing. Yeah, you kind of point at two things, right? Like, A, the quality of the production in terms of sound and, and music value, but then also making it seem mastered like the the whole performance kind of uh makes this what it is this is the product and this is how all the different sound elements play in that product like the the flashbacks and the different characters having their own sounds cool how was the acting the acting is fantastic D- uh, david warner uh played desmond Schilling, and uh unfortunately he passed away after the recording uh, he's a very famous oh. british actor and boy oh. those are big shoes whoever takes up the role after him, boy, I don't envy. That's going to be tough. Mm. He did brilliantly with this. And it, it might have been one of the last things he he recorded. We, we don't know quite what, what he was doing quite before he died, but this was uh, one of the things. Uh, Celia Imry it was uh, great as Lavinia Sixpence, reprising a role from the first uh, series and doing a really nicely job, nice job of that. And Nigel Fares as uh, in, Inspector Cri- uh, Arthur Cribbage, uh, really good in in that role. All the casts were great. You have a big cast of suspects and and characters that come in and out and uh, add to the history. And all of them get, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of time on stage. Uh, Rebecca Criniers is another one uh, familiar from the first set. She played Peggy Pin, uh, the kind of maid servant, and really did a great job with that. Very distinctive uh, accent uh, to, to hear and catch with that. So very uh, Charles Dickens, Dickens style, uh, which oh, I kind of liked. Man. So yeah, yeah very, not, not one flood line. It was great. Well, it's amazing. And I know we're talking production, the post-production and a lot of time people recording, not necessarily together or, or whatever, when it comes to what we can do today and these so talented actors being able to work with that and, and not, and just do things that people recording stuff years ago. No, no, you guys all got to be together. But when you think about all that talent, I know for probably some of the actors who may not have as much of a rep, that's a beautiful thing. I've I've done enough theater where it's very flattering. It's very much a a chance to learn from people with more experience. So, uh, you know, fedoras off to them. How good was the bonus material? We know you like that. Oh, gee, yeah, I always appreciate a good gallop of uh, bonus material. And we got a good 40 minutes worth that just flew by. It, we, a lot of it was spent reminiscing on David Warner because, of course, he's now no longer with us. Uh, but there, there were also uh, lots to talk about in terms of the actor's experience recording and comparing uh, between – because a lot of the actors, some of them, like uh, David Warner, were on for the big finish, but the, a lot of the rest of them were, were the actors that you'd hear in these performances over the past, like, 10, 15 years. So they uh, have had – they offer their thoughts on the differences and the directions and, and of course, the hopes for a season three. Uh, I would cheerfully gobble that up. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask if you – you wanted a, a third season of this do you think that they're actually going to put one together 
I hope so. I, I mean, admittedly, it's going to sound different without uh, right. David Warner as as uh, Schilling, but it could. I'm sure there's some actor out there that can pull it off well. And they've done it with Sherlock Holmes uh, in one of my favorite series, and uh, not Big Finish specifically, but they pulled it off and it worked. Uh, so I'm hoping that we see more because it really is such a good universe, an interesting bunch of characters, still mm. lots of questions to be answered. So uh, yeah, I'm hopeful. So very much worth the $30 price. Absolutely, yes. It's it's a wonderful evening's uh, entertainment, about, about four hours. You could split that up into like two evenings, really. Um, right. You know, it's it's a it's a nice pace. It flies past. Uh, it, it's pretty much suitable for for you know. I wouldn't maybe younger kids, maybe not, but like teens, adults would be fine with it. Uh, there's a kind of restraint to relationships that uh, is, is common to sort of World War II era British uh, you know, programming. So they've kind of captured that that time well. Uh, in in the production, so mm. I, I it, it you know there's not much danger, there's not much cursing really, or anything like that. So uh, good, clean fun all around. And big finish is always up to something. So if we don't hear about the third uh, series of Shilling and Sixpence soon, we'll hear about something else. Mike, thank you so much mm -hmm. for your time. Absolutely, pleasure. Glad to be on this. Uh, that's Mike Fair with the review of Shilling and Sixpence Investigate. You can obtain this from the Big Finish website directly. Uh, it costs, what did he say, $27.66 Canadian on its own, but you can also purchase it with a bundle in the full series. Coming up next, we're talking to Fern Lullum. She's on her way to becoming a counselor. We'll find out more about that on Kelly and Ramya. something new. Kelly and Ramya return with more in a moment. to get into as we continue Kelly and Rumia until 4 p.m. Eastern time. You're tuned into us live on AMI-TV or AMI-audio. And as we get into that, uh, Kelly and I facilitate the conversations. I'm Rumia Amuddin joining you from Toronto, Kelly McDonald in London, Ontario, and he's going to tell us what we have next. Well, it's of course fun always when we have a visit from our bestie in the UK who joins us to talk about so many different things and kind of give us a peek as to what's going on. Welcome in, Fern Lullum. What's on your mind? I'm Fern Lullum from the UK, and whether serious, silly, or somewhere in between, I've got you covered. Let's face it, the most effective therapy is a chat with your bestie. So, um, Fern, before we went into our break, Ramya made a remark, but I'll get to that in just a second. Um, it was like news to me. Real cool, interesting news. But Happy New Year and welcome back to the show. Thank you. Happy New Year to you. And this is an exciting, shiny new show, right? <laughs> yeah, somebody got the polish out, went to work after a couple of years, you know, and uh, said, well, guys, let's put some cameras in and around. So there's so many things like tapping our toe to the music and that we have to remember, oh, how much is my body bobbing? Not that we were getting dusty, though. <laughs> when you said a couple no. of years, I was like, wait a minute. No, no, the show, not us. No? Oh, that's okay. six plus years. There isn't a okay. spot of dust on us. Mm -mm. But let's get to good news, Fern. Um, what's going on in your world? Bring us up to speed. 
Well, I am training in the process of and almost completed to become a counsellor. Yay. An actual counsellor. Can you believe it? Somebody is giving me this much responsibility. It's amazing. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> now... Okay, let's let's go back to you do a lot of different things from podcasting to uh, even to audio description, broadcaster and all sorts of things that you've gotten involved in. What got you interested in counseling? Well, you know, I just thought I wasn't busy enough. I thought, what am I going to do with my days with all of those things that I've been doing? Basically, as you probably know already from my podcast, if you know, I'm sure you all listen to my podcast, Into You. Um, it's about the psychology of relationships and dating. If you don't, where have you been? Uh, I would highly recommend it. I've always been interested in psychology um, and how the human mind works and why we do what we do. And I've always been really interested in helping people as well and communicating. Mm. And I... I would do my public speaking and I would talk to people about my story. And right. a lot of people would often come up to me afterwards and they'd say, God, that's really helped me. And they'd share things with me that they'd say, I've never shared that with anyone in my life. And it started making me think, I wonder if I could do this on a more one-to-one -one basis. And it made me think if they can get as much out of it when it's my story and they're learning about themselves and their lives and what's been going on, imagine how much they could get if it were their own story mm. and they're learning about mm. why they do what they do. And that led me down the road of counselling. Well, I find that really interesting, Fern, too, because a lot of people will do the public speaking, as you say, you know, maybe ask to talk at a luncheon or something like that, or get hired to do so. And a lot of people like to go that road, speak to the room, and then maybe speak individually for a few minutes to the people afterward. But you're taking it that step further. So that that's, to me, a real interesting, you know, well, do I go left? Or do I go right with this and taking a, a different road that maybe some of the others would be more comfortable really doing that public talk as opposed to really being able to get to know and work with someone? Mm. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because it would you on the surface of it, it's interesting to think, oh, surely a room full of people would be scarier than one person. But actually, a lot of people find oh. it the other way around, just like you said. Yeah. So much more intimacy yeah. going on. So you love being busy, and this is a great route that you're going down. We're very excited for you. You'll keep us posted. But let's start with the basics. What is counseling and what is it not? Well, I like to think of counseling a little bit like my guide dog, Nancy, right? Okay. So bear with me. It's, it's a great counseling. But the difference is, so I best the best way to describe what it is against what it isn't, what it isn't is like somebody coming up to you in the street and just dragging you to where they think you want to go. Quite right. often, as friends and family, this is what we're doing to people. We're going, oh, you have a problem. This is what you need to do. You need to do X, Y, and Z. And you're actually, they're quite often trying to solve a problem that we don't even have in the mm. first place. They're, they're assuming a lot, they're judging, you know, they're, they're making all of these kind of snap um, decisions about what we need to do with our lives. Now, counselling, this is where Nancy, my guide dog, comes in because counselling is more guiding. So it's listening and it's building a relationship with someone and a partnership with someone where you're saying, I'm going to try and help you move towards change and move towards the things you want to move towards, but I'm going to be led by you. And, and this is going to be a thing where we're a team of two working together rather than yes. me just grabbing you and pulling you in whatever direction I think I see fit or I think that you need to go in. It's like that person who has the quick solution so they can move on to, all right, we've solved your problem. Let me tell you all about what's going on with me. Yeah. Fern, yeah. when did you start taking the counseling course and what does it all involve? 
Well, I started in 2019 and I have done two levels so far, so level two and level three, and I'm currently on the last level, which is two years long, um, and it's level four and level five. And it involves lots of learning, lots of education at college. It involves lots of essay writing, which is always, everyone loves a good essay. So fun. Oh, yes. Uh, So much fun. Um, And also it involves a lot of hands-on practical, trying it out, you know, trying different things, working with your course mates and sharing things and and also doing some personal therapy yourself. So there's lots of different elements to it, Mm. but I find it all really interesting. Great about the element of trying personal therapy yourself so you can be on the other side of it and really start to understand the connection that you talked about earlier. Will you have to do an exam or something similar to that? Thank goodness, no. I have never enjoyed exams. Um, But what we do have to do, like I say, is a lot of coursework, a lot of practice and assessments to show that we can do it. I'm actually preparing for a research presentation coming up. So, yeah, there's lots of work. But luckily, I don't have to cram a load of information into my brain and regurgitate it at a certain time, which I'm very pleased about. Nice. Uh, If everything goes when everything goes well, mm-hmm. when will you be <laughs> fully you, qualified? I will be fully qualified, hopefully, uh, in the summer of this year. So not long. Watch wow. yourselves, everyone. Wow. Look up your, your sons and daughters. I'm coming. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we should be so lucky. From what you've learned so far, Fern, what would you say are the main qualities of a good counselor? Can you wrap it up in a box with a bow like that? Well, I would say there's, I guess there's some fundamentals that is really useful to have. So obviously a good listener, um, somebody with a lot of patience, somebody who's open-minded. And I think somebody who can bring something of themselves to the relationship, who, who can just understand that it is this relationship, this back and forth. And what I found is that when I started, it's very easy to focus on the skills, right? The, the practical stuff. I think this is very applicable to all different jobs. You know, when you start radio, you're just thinking, oh, what do I need to do and what don't I need to do? And over time, what happens is more and more of you and your personality bleeds into the work that you're doing. So you're not so much thinking about all of the practical side. Mm. You're thinking how can I be me how can I have you know all of the humor and the charm that I that I bring to this show of course and that's the intention behind of course yes I affirm that (laughs) Um, (laughs) isn't that the part of the intention of why you went into counseling to begin with right you're like I could help in the ways that I've already been helping but I want to do it you know kind of formally now beyond formatics yeah yes and building that two-way relationship with someone so does your training involve having meetings with clients? Do you actually sit down at an appointment and and use that for building the experience? I do. I actually have to do 100 hours of placement before I can qualify. Mm. So a lot of practice. Um, yeah. I'm climbing the mountain slowly but surely. I'm halfway there. So I've done 55 hours now. Um, so I'm getting there. And it's really rewarding. Everyone always told me that this is where you learn the most because you learn things about yourself and how you behave as a counsellor. And also, of course, you're learning from all of your different clients and all of the things that they're bringing and, and, and the, the different types of people that they are it's just a really transformative process now i'm curious part yeah you Mm -hmm. say that they're going really well and they're very rewarding i'm curious about how much you tell your clients about yourself do you talk about your disability do you bring that into conversation as you would in a i don't know presentation context 
Yeah, I think, to be absolutely honest with you, Ramya, it's, it has been very much like any other area of my life where I've thought, oh, what do I do about that? You know, when mm-hmm. do I disclose that? Do I say it? Don't I say it? And when I, so I do some work in person and I do some work on the phone. And for me, when I'm on the phone, I don't really have any immediate reason to to have to disclose it. And so usually I I just want to focus on the client because it's their time. It's not that I necessarily wouldn't if it came up and I thought it was helpful and appropriate and beneficial to the client to do that. But usually on the phone, it doesn't come up. If I'm in person, however, I feel that it would make it more about me if I didn't disclose it because I don't want my client to be sitting there not actually thinking about what they want to talk about because they're thinking, why isn't she making eye contact with me? Or why right. didn't she right. see that gesture that yep. I just did? It's it's better in that respect to just disclose it and get it out of the way and not make it a big deal, but just say, hey, this is something that you should be aware of. Now let's move on to the session. Yes, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's a, a, a balance. You have your own private life, which I know you're comfortable with sharing, but what is the balance of how much since that person's there for you know to, to be guided as, as we talked about, but you certainly don't want distractions and don't want to seem close when, hey man, you know, I, I'm comfortable to share, but I want you to feel free here to open and this is your time. So has there, when it comes to any job, we always think about accessibility. Is there a problem here? What do I have to worry about? Has being blind presented any particular challenge as far as your training has been so far and any concerns there? Not really. I, when I went into it again, with as with so many other things in my life, I definitely thought, yeah, are there going to be issues here? Especially because in counselling, we think about things like visual cues, you know, the, the gestures, yes. the yeah. facial Eye expressions, contact. all of those things. Exactly. Yeah. And everyone puts a lot of emphasis on how important that is. But as all of us, you know, all of us will know, and I'm sure many of the listeners will know, actually, you can have a really deep, intimate conversation with somebody without any of those things. Mm-hmm. And I've actually been pleasantly surprised at how little it has had an effect on me or made me, you know, any less of a counsellor. I think I'm really progressing just as well as any of my course mates. So it's really nice to say that I don't really think it has had an impact on me half as much or, or at all as much as I thought it would. You know, coming from a uh, client perspective, for me, someone who has low vision, I've had sessions, counseling sessions, without any visuals. So just over the phone, holding a phone to my ear. And it has been so relaxing and relieving to a point because you're thinking, I don't have to present myself visually. I don't have to think about what they're looking at that I'm doing, you know, maybe unconsciously, but nonetheless, those are things that I get, I might get stressed out about, right? that this person is looking at how I'm looking at things or whatever. So (laughs) I prefer it that way too. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. There's lots of benefits to that. Yeah. Well, when you're qualified, do you think that being blind will have an impact on the service you provide uh, for better or for worse that way? I feel like, you know, you've been having some positive reactions so far. So Mm -hmm. I... I mean, the only thing I suppose you could argue that maybe it would be easier for me if I could pick up on some of those visual mm-hmm. cues. But like I say, I think there's a way around things. And I and I guess the only other thing is using resources. You know, some counsellors will read through something with a, a client um, and that would be maybe a little bit harder for me not being able to read paperwork and things like that. But again, 
as we all know, there are so many ways around those things and we all find ways around them all of the time. And so I think actually it's not going to be a problem, but in terms of how it might actually help me, um, then I just think that as a lot of us will know as well with disabilities, you go through a lot of challenges in life. Mm -hmm. And I think that's made me very open and very empathetic to people with struggles and to, you know, to say, I know what it's like to be in a dark place and therefore I'm really willing to listen and to understand you. And, and because that's how I've always wanted to feel very much in line with what I was saying about public speaking. It's the same right. principle. Yep, for sure. Fern, we wish you luck. We're about out of time. We will talk to you in a couple of weeks on the program. Fern Lullum joins us uh, every other Thursday for UK Disability Highlights right here on the program. After a quick two-minute break, we'll be back with Bill Shackleton for the second Buzz with Bill of the Week. This is Kelly and Remya. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Thanks for spending your Thursday afternoon with us here on Kelly and Ramya. It's a pleasure always hanging out with you five days a week, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time on AMI. And, of course, details on the podcast when you want to go search us up on demand will come to you throughout the show. Let's get talking to Bill Shackleton. He's a producer here at AMI, and he joins us Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays to wrap up the first hour of the show, bringing us some articles that we can flip through, chat about, um, really get arguing about sometimes as well, but not always, though he finds it entertaining. Right, Billy? He does. He does. <laughs> I try to get things that are controversial. I could tell. <clears throat> I can tell. You you always tee up something and you're like, this is a good one. And it usually yeah, and a, often <laughs> is. <laughs> and if we disappoint him, you almost hear it. All right, Bill, yeah. what's your next one? Yeah, let's uh, move on. Uh, yeah, exactly. yeah, let's just let's just move on. <laughs> so what's the first one today? No Actually, pressure, we by have the way. two two related articles about travel and accessibility. And I want to thank Brock Richardson for giving us these two stories. They're from a organization called Euro News, which is, to me, a new source. And the first article is Tourism, Why This Blind, This Braille Railing in Naples Has Gone Viral. Interesting mm -hmm. story about St. Elmo's Castle Now, when, in, in, in Naples. When you go there, you have a, a, basically a majestic view of Mount Vesuvius. Mm -hmm. And there is a 92-foot rail going along, um, you know, the edge of the, the, of one of the one of the castle, and it is braille. And what it has, mm. it it has a um, the a, the a mural of uh, an Italian artist, Giuseppe Di Lorenzo's book the land and the man and it's verses it's it's sort of verses that you can read as a as a vision paired person um i think Along it's that railing 92 feet wow that is really uh, amazing well and and it is and i think when you're asking when you talk about why it went viral there's a couple of things first of all um there's a lot of tourism sites that isn't that aren't accessible to us or to anybody um, the second reason is that when you, I mean, so much of the information we assimilate 
is on packages, um, which is fine. We need that information. But how much information is a boat, um, an actual person or a boat, about a site, about the general right. site that you're in? And mm -hmm. I think that's why it's gone viral. Um, yeah. A lot of people see a lot of people see tourism is black and white, either it's accessible or it's not. And of course, we know that's not. It's some of the sites are more accessible than others for different people. Yeah. And plus, how much do we retain, right? Like, I've always had this issue when I, uh, it's fun while you're there, or it's interesting, it's captivating, and then later on, I don't remember a thing. But this, it's, you're making it part of the experience. When I, I always believe in reading Braille, you retain more. So I think in that, in that, in that aspect, you, you gain perhaps more. I think so. Do you get frustrated, though, because, and I, and I think it's something of our nature, um, especially the older people uh, in the sense who have lived and not had some of these things available to us where a younger person may say, wow, well, I've been to a few places they are accessible in one way or another, or I've had Braille to read, but I still get on that side of, hmm, I wonder if this Braille is telling me about everything there is to know about this installation, this display, this this base, or whatever it might be, you always feel like, yeah, it's probably shortened, you know, <laughs> because Braille takes up more space than, than what print. So you stop and think, well, what is he getting over there that I'm not being able to read it in print? The question uh, of, I still like, is catch there myself enough? with that. Yeah, is yeah. there enough? But then again, there's still at least more than there was 10 years ago, mm -hmm. 20 years ago, 100 years ago, accessible to me if I'm a Braille reader. The the actual site is the, the 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 Braille does not describe the scenic view in this case. Right. It's no. just no. it's just um and you wonder I would like to have the scenic view, but they but for some reason they think that that, 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 that they didn't do that and should they have or should they not have? I don't know. I, I think for some people it means nothing to, but others it does. If you've been able to see, which we know according to statistics, more persons who are classes uh, low vision or blind have have some usable vision to some mm -hmm. sort. So maybe they can imagine, they can depict, they remember their colors or whatever it might be. So I think a lot would, would opt for like you, Bill, a description of. I mean, the reading's nice, the work yeah. itself, and what a cool installation, but that to me is more what it is. It's a neat installation to sit, read, to see that somebody did. Am I going to stand there and read 92 feet of Braille? Pro probably not. No, but nonetheless, like if you're, you know, walking uh, 100 feet or experience that 92 feet of Braille, you're getting like a, a tactile experience, right? It's more you of a three-dimensional experience than reading about something, because I could do that at home. And I think that it's just well, one extra layer of putting something in that people could say, oh yeah, I can understand this more. And and also, what did you say, Bill, right from the start? It's gone viral. So what yes. is this doing, whether it's for Braille, whether it's a, the uniqueness of it, or just informing people of it out there, it's letting someone else know who's right now listening to us saying, well, I think that's pretty cool, mm. because they don't have the experience of Braille in any capacity or nothing to relate to it. So for them, this is a really interesting educational thing, not all about accessibility or disability. It's, wow, that's neat. I want to touch that. And that's really cool thing. Um, next article, though, is definitely more about accessibility, how ancient Rome ruins can teach the modern world about accessible travel, okay. again, from Mural News. So 
there's a Colosseum in um, in Rome, and when you go in there, you see the columns and you see the um, the catacombs, which is what you would expect to see. But mm-hmm. the one thing you did not expect to see if you went is a chairlift. Oh, and, wow! And that is really and and the chairlift is taking people to the top of the of the actual Colosseum, and this is where you know, the modern world as you, you know, the accessible travel thing comes in. When you think of a, of an ancient, like so much of the, the ancient sites or whatever are, is not accessible at all, but to think that you would put a wheelchair in a Coliseum, I mean, <laughs> talk about being at the forefront of, of you yeah. know, this type of thing. My friend who is a uh, very frequent traveler and loves visiting historic sites, and he's completely, totally blind, um, loves to pick out these kind of nuggets of uh, pieces of things that are going on where, you know, something is completely inaccessible. You can't even use the stairs, but there's this tiny little bit of accessibility that they've put in uh, into the ancient elevator, uh, you know. It's all very interesting to me when we can pull out these pieces of history and say, this existed a long time ago, and then to fast forward to today and say, but we're having so many issues with it right now. But you know what people would say, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, There must have been some very well-off individuals or government official that needed that lift. Exactly. And And so what? Even to that, I say— Exactly, long as the regular people could use it, but mostly they were thinking accessibility for this person. They they thought outside the box, even at that time, to say, okay, how are we going to get them up there, Right. Bill, Kelly, t- grab onto that rope and lift. Pull. <laughs> Pulley I'm system, right, Billy? <laughs> I'll tell you about the, 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 one of the most ironic things about this article is in ancient Rome, people with disabilities were treated, they were stoned to death, they were shunned, mm. you never saw them. Yes. Mind you, in, in war, they were honored. And what would their ancestors think? They would roll over in their grave if they showed up at this castle today and found people with disabilities in it, plus a plus a chairlift, right? I mean, yeah. can you imagine yeah. what they would have? Yeah, you know. Yeah, people well, have and, to and endure. I... It's it's so similar to what you were saying earlier, Kelly, and from the other article. Like people have had to endure decades and centuries of inaccessibility, and you know, never could even dream of what we have today. So, in so many ways, we feel privileged to be living in this time. Well, your friend that oh, travels absolutely. and being able to actually go in and take these things in, where before it was a picture book with, yeah. with descriptions that people got, and you lived through what people had told you if you were low vision or blind, uh, or certainly you needed to be able to go. So, so many people don't have that person to travel with, right? And if they have a partner, you know, that they at least to enjoy experiences with, that's great. But a lot of people who would like to travel, who have the means, don't because, well, man, I'm on my own and I don't really know where to go to make sure I'll get assistance. I don't want to spend the money, go to Rome and find out you can't come into the Coliseum. Sorry. Right. I think this is a conversation where, um, I mean, advocates have been saying that the travel is not that accessible all the time. And maybe mm. the more these things become accessible and the more they, they go viral, it's going to make people stand up and, and yeah. you know, and, and take note and maybe maybe we'll get no, you know, we're not perfect yet, but we are starting in, in the right direction. Oh, yeah. Well, Everything is another way. Just 
accessibility just requires open minds. Sorry, Ram, exactly. No, and I was just going to say a liner as well. Everything is a, another way to educate, right? No matter if we're into it or not, it's somebody out there is learning something. Billy, we have a couple more minutes. You want to squeeze one in? Well, we can. Um, U.S. official warns of risks posed by heavy electric vehicles. This is um, from Associated Press. And I must, first of all, you can't win with these articles. So basically, an official from the U.S. Transportation Board is actually warning, um, they, she, they made a speech, and they basically are, are concerned about um, the potential of accidents when a heavy electric vehicle um, hits um, like a normal combustion vehicle. I'm going to uh -huh. throw, um, throw some numbers at you. So an electric Hummer weighs 9,000 pounds. The battery pack alone is 2,900 pounds, which is the weight oh. of a Honda Civic. A Civic. Wow. Um, so, I mean, I get the concern, um, but I mean, where's the evidence that there is, that there's, this is going to be a problem. If she is, this official is warning of a potential problem, which may occur or may not. Mm -hmm. And it's mm -hmm. certainly it'll take kind its of, toll on roads. That's for sure. Yeah, with that many, as time goes on, the weight of the vehicles, but time will change too with the way we build roads. Well, and and it's like, yeah, what? So we're we're we want to use these electric vehicles, and now we're saying that they could be a pose a, a pose a problem. Um, so I don't know where you, you as I say, you can't you can't you can't win. The problem with the with the is the battery packs are so heavy. There are manufacturers that are starting to, you know, put more power and less in 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 so they can be lighter. But for now, yeah. I don't know if this is going yeah. to be a concern or whether it's well, just. It's tricky, Bill, also because we want that for the environment. We also know batteries are going to be a little more dangerous at the moment until that technology sure. gets dealt with. The weight of them, we're looking at what that does, but we all want to be able to charge it as infrequent as possible. So there's got to be a way down the road, as there was with the combustion engine, to kind of meet mm -hmm. in the middle but it's going to take time, development, and and I think that's the efforts, Ramya, that we need to see. Yeah, definitely. And also, it's, I'm just going back to, like, the forewarning of a problem. I'm not sure if that's productive at all. Like, you know? I don't know either. Yeah. It, it's one thing if it's backed by um, the kind of evidence that we need evidence. to say either Where pull them it? on or not. Yeah, exactly. Pull them off the roads or not. But just to be like, you know, be warned, this may happen is just, it, it doesn't really leave It's any, not. Yeah, that sounds kind of strange. Okay, Billy, we're wrapping it up. Thank you so much. We'll catch you tomorrow. Thanks a lot. Bill Shackleton joining us for The Buzz, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, to wrap up the first hour. And as we go into the second hour, here's some things that are coming up. We're talking accessible gaming with me. I have some demonstrations and samples of things that you can buy in your own homes to make gaming accessible for you and your people. Roundtable, weekly roundtable is back. John Melville is our guest, the vice president of uh, programming at AMI. And after the break, we're talking about what's trending in food and Beverage, what's trending as of now in 2023? That's with Mary Mamaliti of Kitchen Confession. We'll be right back. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI TV.
getting pretty comfy while we relax here yes, into Kelly. Yes, thank you. Marina. I am. Yes, yes, me oh, too. For sure. Me too. You know, an hour has <laughs> gone by. We can finally relax, right? No, kidding. It's oh, been yeah. a nice relaxing show, and we've uh, talked about a lot of different things as well as we kick so into the second hour. So I have a question, hour. if I may. Yes. So you said Thursday's kind of that day where it seems kind of the rhythm. It's the an old staple, like Greg David was mentioning yesterday on the show about Thursday nights on 1980s TV. I have to submit that I think the old faithful, the old feels the same day is Friday. Mm, yeah, that's true. Friday as well. Friday is a, a, almost everything we have on there is a weekly contribution. So all our Fridays sound, feel very similar. And we did that on purpose, as we usually say we do. Mondays as Less well. Work. And that's what I was saying earlier, right? Like all the days have their own thing. But for some reason, Thursdays stand out to me. And it might be yeah. because of how much um, anxiety, oh, maybe that's not the right word, that the round table <laughs> gave me at the beginning, you know? <laughs> that's crazy. Also, I kind of get a kick out of the fact that sometimes we get in themes without even necessarily trying. We're filling spots yes. and bang. Wow, it just works out that way. Uh, speaking of working out food, Food is always on our mind here, and we've got to work out some food as we welcome in Mary Mamaliti from Kitchen Confession. If you're like me, the kitchen is your favorite room in the house. I'm Mary Mamaliti, here with a handful of goodies from my kitchen, including food trends, cooking tips, and of course, some delicious recipes. Oh, yes, always. And today, Mary wants to talk about food and beverage trends of 2023. Mary, welcome back. How are you? It is great to be back, and I am fantastic. Awesome. Glad to have you, of course. And we have you here weekly now on the program, so let's dig in. Uh, oh, gee, yeah, I'm uh, so excited. I get to hang out comments. with you guys every single week now. Mm -hmm. You betcha. What are some of the trends, Mayor, that you want to bring up that we should look for in 2023? Okay, so you both know I've been doing the food trends at the start of each year for the last few years. Mm -hmm. And one thing yes. that I've learned is that these lists, they are not to be mistaken for fads. So there is a difference. Basically, anything that is trending on what I like to call the infomercial of social media's TikTok. So like the butterboard, <laughs> tinned fish date night. What? Um, maybe a C, C uh, let me try and pronounce this, secuterie, secuterie board. Secuterie and, boards. I mean, if oh, you can't yeah. pronounce it, why eat it? <laughs> oh, <laughs> trust me, I'm Are okay Are we talking about that. the traditional There's... charcuterie? Yeah. Oh, but yeah, with fish. so yeah. good. Oh, and, no. And that's a, oh, wow. Oh, no. Oh, secuterie. Secuterie, oh. that's it. Oh, man, I like that. I don't know. We're going to have to talk about it. <laughs> we'll oh, talk about man. it. But, you know, like those fats, even the feta pasta, it'll fizzle out over time. Yeah. Whereas trends, trending foods, they stick around and they grow year over year. And they've got like this rooted social media presence. So I just wanted to mention that. And now that I've got that in, Let's dive in. So okay. some of the food trends to watch for in 2023 may be reminiscent of years past with like a brand new twist. So wellness will continue to be top of mind for more, maybe more energy, less fatigue, um, food and beverage focus on, you know, emotional and mental mm -hmm. health, the rise of mood foods. So mm -hmm. this is interesting. What makes because me feel good to eat? No, I feel like that's not it. In many no. ways. Okay. Yeah. In, in many ways. Sometimes you don't ways. have to eat to feel good with that, eh? 
that's exactly it. So food, food, it's really just a fancy, fun way to say cannabis infused foods. Okay. So, right. Mm -hmm. So mood food, it's been growing in popularity um, for some time, you know, with YouTube channels, they're dedicated to cannabis cooking hundreds now of searchable recipes, just search up mood food recipes. And then this will gain more and more traction over the year. So be prepared. That's going to happen. Wow. It's to me, you know what? I'm sorry, people out there who may take this in a very offensive way, but Dan Panamondo, uh, there in the control room, he'll he'll totally know where I'm coming from with this one. But it's sort of like people who develop so many recipes with hot sauce. They would argue the same that, well, you know, you guys go and run out and make your hot sauce recipes and everything that you can make to make food burn and hot. So I, I, I think as we go through patterns of what's in, what's not in food, I'm sure there are those who would defend what we're talking about mm-hmm. here, the mood food, in the same way. Uh, I'm not sure I would compare them the same uh, at this point in life, but, you know, uh, I, haven't even I, I run into see it. that. This is the first Maybe time I'm people- hearing of mood food. Yeah, well, people have been doing this for quite some time. It's just it's really starting to gain traction okay. and popularity also in 2020. Also, a little more legal now, apparently. <laughs> so, I guess right, I just don't follow why. these TikTok uh, channels, so I wouldn't know. It's not. It's not so, I mean, well, then speaking of, we, we go into like mocktails yes. and non-alcoholic cocktails. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're moving away from that alcohol, and they're they're gaining a lot of traction side by side with that THC infused food. Mm-hmm. And so side by side with that, and they're appearing more and more on restaurant menus, uh, and they're taking up more real estate on grocery store shelves. The mocktails. So, yeah, mocktails. <sighs> Mocktail mixes. Um, are, there's a rise. Yeah. I'm definitely gut seeing health. those. Right. Gut health. Gut health. Yes. Remember, I mean, we've... Yes. Gut health we've talked about for years. And the difference is it's amping up this year. So probiotics, which I personally happen to love and take religiously, uh, probiotics, they've been steadily growing in popularity. So expect to see them appear beyond that yogurt, right? So we're we're used to seeing them in yogurt. We're used to seeing them in supplement Mm -hmm. form, but get used to seeing probiotics. They're being added to non-traditional foods like chocolate, ice cream, juices, sauces, even nutrition bars. Mm. Right. And Mary, yeah. how much, when you hear this, when you first, I, I'm sure you gave it the thumbs up. I, I think this is tremendous because the gut, as we've learned on our show from from so many different people, contributors, guests, it's yeah. everything when it comes to our health and, and making sure the right things get to where they're supposed to in our bodies. Absolutely. And there's so many things that, that center and start from our gut. So yeah. good gut health is so important for overall health. Mm-hmm. There's more uh, of this kind of healthy eating and alternative foods trending as well. Well, that's the thing. So you you are seeing that uprise in healthy health and wellness. It's becoming a huge um, focus. We're kind of we, we may still be technically in the pandemic, but we're kind of coming out of it. We're seeing, you know, a little shift, and everyone's thinking more about we were just eating everything and anything, and now let's yeah. let's start really taking care of us. Yeah. Plant based alternatives. What do you right. think about and not the prices only, on this? Right. I mean, and not only with, um, uh, you know, food, it's mental health as well mm-hmm. that we're mm-hmm. really focusing what, in on. 
What are you seeing on the price of when you look at the gut health, uh, when people are talking the probiotics, the, the foods that are going to contain? Because as we always say, the stuff that's really good for us is going to cost more. And this, to me, is a really good thing to, to, to have worked into uh, onto the food shelves everywhere. Absolutely. I mean, if we are paying more for that chocolate, right, let's get it a little more beneficial for us. Mm -hmm. And I don't mind paying that extra if you're putting in a little extra probiotic in there. Yeah. I mean, why not? We're taking it right? anyways. So Mary, let's keep moving with the plant alternatives. Okay. So plant-based alternatives, they're branching out with a focus on sustainability and innovation. I was so excited when I read about this. So I've seen the term upcycling being used. And what this means is it's being used quite a bit, especially this year. You're going to notice it more and more. Now that I've told you about it, you're going to notice it. It takes plant-based food that would have normally gone to waste, okay. right? And then takes that and processes them and processes them for use in other products. So uh, how could I give you an example? Okay, so such as pulp and maybe even like spent grain from soy milk or oat milk, mm -hmm. they're being added mm -hmm. to flour. Ah, and that's how they're reusing. Yes, yes, yes. Makes sense. Even if it's to, to, to fill out, right? Like, like, exactly. and ride as an accompaniment. That's tremendous. Um, Getting rid of food waste. Right. Oh, and, sure. and our parents uh, were on to something. Use everything. Yes. Yep. For sure. For sure. Um, what is swicy food trend, the trend? What, what, what does swicy mean? <laughs> I'm so glad you asked because I was like, <laughs> swicy. Nowadays, if you take yeah. two words, you mash them together, you've got a trending word. Sweet and spicy. <laughs> right? But exactly. So spicy, yeah. basically what it means, it's just a mashup of sweet and spicy. And there's sweet and spicy elements in a single meal or dessert. So spicy food includes things like hot honey, Hells yeah. um, ah. chili, mm -hmm. right? Hot honey, love it. Chili-infused dark chocolate, so good if you haven't that tried is good. it. Yes. I've had a good I one. I've had one that, that I didn't love, but I had another one that was good, so... Dark chocolate yeah. too? Was mm -hmm. it dark? Mm -hmm. Yes. Because I think I, I'm I'm a huge fan of the dark chocolate. I yeah. just I it love dark it. I, I with think a kick. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it seems and like it's the got best just thing like a that hint. it would be. Yeah, just a hint. Mm -hmm. Of the yeah, spice. Yeah, it's just that hint. Um, even sweet and spicy chicken. There's also I want to add in. There's a rise in chicken this year as well. <laughs> really, like, uh, gee, honestly, I wonder fried, why. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> like fried chicken sandwiches. Um. Sweet and spicy chicken, all of that good stuff. Chicken's always been good. I don't know what people have been missing out on, but go on. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I mean, well, for oh. one, it's uh, not rising in price as much as the other. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mushrooms, guys. Mushrooms have been around. You either hate them or you love them. Do love either them. of you, lo you love a mushroom? I love yes. mushrooms. Yeah, oh, yeah. I love mushrooms of any kind. So mushrooms, they're actually having their moment in 2023. Well-deserved. Um, restaurateurs, home cooks, all looking for sustainable, low-cost ingredients. They can be that that sustainable, low-cost ingredients that can be sourced regularly and locally. Um, so sourcing them locally again saves us on cost. So this I'm, mushroom I'm not big fits on mushroom though. soup, like like you know when it when or sauces. I'm not as big unless I have nice chunks. But I, I I wanted to make sure I said that because anything else mushroom, oh my, especially garlic mushroom with cheese, oh, Delicious. right. I mean, and so wow. I mean, rest assured, our trusted cremini and shiitake, those guys are sticking around. Um, yeah, yeah. But expect a little more growth. 
in specialty okay. mushrooms. So we're talking about oyster mushrooms, the trumpet mushroom. I actually had my first trumpet mushroom when we were filming uh, Taste of the Prairies in Edmonton. Wow. So good. Mayor, we're going to have to pause. We're going to have to carry this on yeah. uh, next week and that we will let ourselves get too carried away listening and stopping and saying, oh, Mary, appreciate it. Really love always having you on board with us. Uh, check out Mary's discussions and recipes on kitchenconfession.com. And of course, you can find uh, the Kitchen Confession podcast using your favorite podcast platform. We're going to take a break. That was my line. Um, <laughs> come back talking accessible gaming. We have some show and tell on that front as well. We'll be back. This is Kelly and Romia. with Kelly and Ramya right around the corner. Exciting times as we get through Kelly and Romeo on a Thursday afternoon. And, you know, every Thursday has something special for you. For example, on the second Tuesday of the month, we like to talk accessible gaming. And in the past, we've had Dave and Debbie join us for these monthly segments. We've gone through a ton. Uh, they've featured anything from tabletop gaming to gaming with your smartphones and smart devices at home, running game nights, and having inclusive gaming with your friends and family members who may be sighted, able-bodied, and how to uh, conduct that, host that. We talked about uh, fun group games versus fun drinking games and fun solo games, all kinds of things. So I thought as uh, Dave and Debbie are not joining us any longer for the time being, that on the spot today that we could feature some of these cool things now that we're on TV in real life and demo some of the um, some of the fantastic things that Dave and Debbie have talked about in the past and that I own and actually have borrowed as well. It's a show and tell class. It's a show and tell. Oh my gosh, it's so fun. It's like uh, kindergarten or grade one or whatever all over again. So Kels, um, I've brought some things to show to you and our viewers. And these include cards, dice, die, I guess, plural, and uh, my beloved chess set. So maybe we can go through mm. individually one by one, but in categories, and we can start with playing cards. So okay. we have, you know, a regular 52 deck of cards. Um, nothing about that needs to change when you're playing in an inclusive fashion, right? So uh, we're playing a card games with people. You're still going to use the standard 52 deck, 54 if you're using jokers. But what may be altered is the kind of cards that you use. And if you're playing amongst people who have uh, low vision or who are completely blind, you have some options out there. And we'll highlight the, the options as we go through the segment. But let's talk about the type of cards you could play with. So. In um, general, you can have cards that are large print, that are braille, and you can even have cards that are high contrast. So what I'm holding up right now are braille cards. I don't have all 52 cards in my hand. These are <laughs> just a sample size <laughs> of braille cards. And Kelly, have you played with braille cards before? Oh yeah, yeah, I've okay. had decks braille cards. Okay, perfect. So you might be familiar with um, some braille being in 
English, they call it English style or American style. And the difference right. is that when you have the English style, the suit and the um, number, so like the value of the card and the suit are put next to each other. They read left to right, as these cards do. But if you have the American Braille cards, then they read top to bottom. I think it's like the value of the card on top and then the suit right under it. Um, it's interesting because different card makes of cards will do different things. For example, in this deck, the 10 is marked with an X. Okay, so it right. doesn't say yep. zero, but in other no. decks that I've used, it says zero for 10. Have you uh, run into this? I, I've seen, I believe, well, what we consider one and zero. So I have seen like an actual 10 without a number sign or anything like that in okay, lowercase yep. braille. Right, okay, I've never and run I've into that. I've seen the X, okay. yeah, and I've seen the X. Okay, and you've seen the X, yeah. So the X is yep, what sure. um, these cards have. Do you have a preference of reading left to right or top to bottom with the cards? Um, it doesn't really matter to me. I, I, I've tended to like top to bottom. Oh, okay, I'm the opposite. But it really doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't really matter to me. I prefer left to right I, simply because it feels less bulky in my hands. Like, you know, as you as you yep. hold cards and you're reading Braille, and, and you could be really strategic with uh, playing with Braille cards, by the way. That's why I really enjoy using them, because you can hold them under the table and be very That's discreet right. about it. You have, people have no idea. Um, and sometimes people forget who can't see, who have never seen. You go and you look at it, and the tendency to read a Braille card, you bend it a little That's bit. That's right. And sometimes... Yeah. The no. cheater in the room really <laughs> cranes their neck they know. and to try to take a look. But yeah, I, I tended always to play under the table. Yes, same here. Actually, at the beginning or even now in circumstances where I'm surrounded by other people who are blind or low vision, like if it's just a... Um, uh, blind low vision a, people a, in the group. Group. Yeah. Yes. Then we all just play our fa cards face up because yep. you know, unless there's some high partials who are willing to cheat about it, but we usually know. We can tell. Well, usually you feel them leaning right over your. Yeah, you know, that's right. Know you can't see that well. Yeah. Do you want another drink from me? Oh, nice ace of hearts. Yeah. So those are the braille cards. Um, and we'll leave it right there. The only other thing I could mention is that Braille cards can be very slippery. So when you're shuffling and you're inexperienced, like uh, I was for a bit, uh, the cards can go all over the place, so. Do you feel that the texture, the thickness, are they thicker? No. If anything, they feel thinner. I don't think thinner. so, right? Yeah. Yeah. But they're yeah. made of that very slippery, um, Matt called it the vinyl material. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but they're very, very like slippery. They almost feel laminated. Yes. Almost, not quite. But. That's right. Um, because, of course, the Braille sticks better. I've had paper Braille cards, but they don't last because by the oh, time gosh, the Braille no. gets smushed. Wait, have you it. ever made your own deck? I have not, but I have a friend yeah. who's made me Braille Uno. So they've taken Uno oh. cards and uh, Brailled them, and that's that's precious. Yeah. Have you? Uh, yes. Oh, yeah. yeah okay. We used to make, take card decks. It takes time, and obviously you need someone who can read the card to you, and then you make up your 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 system or just use the system that's out there if you smart exactly. use the system so everyone can play. Yeah. So we'll keep moving with cards. Um, these are just large print cards. So they aren't regular decks, but they're probably the closest to a like the average deck of cards that you'll run into. It's just everything stays the same. The graphics stay the same on the face cards, um, but things are just blown up a little bit so if all you need is a little bit of zoom or the people in your um, in your game night just need a bit of magnification or are willing to use their cards along with an actual physical magnifier then you have those now okay. the last 
a bunch of cards that I'm going to hold up are high contrast cards. And I used these for a really long time before I moved on to Braille cards because I love them. So these cards are high contrast. So the red and the black that usually your suits are, right? So the reds mm -hmm. for hearts and diamonds, black for spades and clubs. What they've done is, very impressively, made the background of the card. So on the face of the card, the background is the red or the black. So you automatically know, if you can see color, that uh, if the, the the card is black, then you're talking about a black suit. If your card is red, then you're talking about a red suit. And then they still Everything on here is pretty gigantic. There are basically four quadrants in the card, uh, on the card, mm -hmm. and each quadrant contains either the number, like the value of the card, or a sign representing the suit. So it will. So they're a larger card. They're no, the card itself nope. is the same size, same but size? the print okay. will take up a quarter of the card. And the print okay. is in white, I believe. Somebody correct me in my ear if that's wrong. But the card okay. itself is the color of the suit, and then the print is in white, and the little signs that they use, because sometimes it can be hard to tell a spade from a club or a heart from mm -hmm. a diamond. It, it can look very um, blurry or just you're not sure, right? So what they've done, and I love this, is use a dash, a hyphen, or an equal sign, or use... Um, a vertical line or a vertical double line to represent. So that would the, be somewhere on the card to let you know. Yes. This is this a, is a this club. sign. Yes, and you okay. just yep. familiarize yep. yourself. Say, okay, if I if I have the horizontal dash, I know it's this suit. If I have the vertical mm -hmm. dash, I know it's this suit. But it's much easier to digest and look at than yep. to try to figure out is that a clubs or spades or what am I looking at? And hey, can somebody tell me this? You know what I mean? I love it. Um, these you can find at the CNIB. Any of these you can find at the CNIB, by the way. But also, there are tons of other places where you can find these accessible cards and accessible um, games, uh, tabletop games, because, you know, it's not just CNIB anymore, though that may be the easiest place for you to go. 64-ounce games is one. Uh, in Toronto, there are a couple of their stores. But maybe you can even just Google it. We can find yeah, that. Yeah, I think a lot of game places might have, for cards, the different accessible yep. sets because so many people need them, especially yeah. you know, as you get older. And you mentioned the size too. I've definitely seen decks of cards that are blown up quite literally in size. <laughs> so you yeah. have just a giant yeah. deck of cards. That was the bingo cards I always knew. That, nice. you know, doing the bingo cards were like that, blown right up and like your chessboard, like a real full yes. set made up. Yes, and we're going to get to the chessboard in a second, but before that I want to talk show you dice. Uh, so we have two sets of dice here. I'm holding one in each hand. In my right hand, there's a white die with black dots on it. And in my left hand, there's a black dice uh, die with uh, white dots on it. And the reason why these dice are cool is, first of all, they're huge. Okay, so I can only pretty much hold one in the palm of my hand, Kells. They're gigantic. Right. Nope. Um, what could wow. I compare this to? The size like, of... Oh. I was going to say like a Rubik's Cube. I don't think it's an that big, cube. and I'm not sure you know what that, like an yes, ice cube. I was going to say a Rubik's cube. cube is too big. Too big, but maybe yeah. a, a square of a Rubik's Cube. It's pretty big. Okay. Um, and they're tactile. So right. all the dots are marked uh, in a tactile way, so you can feel around to feel what you're holding. And mm -hmm. also, my friend who I borrowed these from, they've actually made the dots. They've painted or repainted the dots in the opposite color, so they're pretty high contrast as well. Now Do you, you can, prefer indented or uh, outdented dots? I prefer the embossed 
like when it's tactile up rather than indented because it just feels faster in order to, to mm -hmm. go through them. But you might f prefer the opposite. And of course, if you have the option of which contrast you prefer, then that's cool too. But I will show you the other dice I have. And this is specifically from a game called uh, left, right, center, which we're not going to get into it, but I wanted to show you the dice. These are regular size dice, so the size of maybe your thumbnail, um, but they're indented, as you mentioned, Kels. So all the little portions of the dice, which this one has a big hole, because these aren't regular dice. Um, this got a big hole, a big C, a, a left, L for left, and R for right, and these are indented dice. And I find it harder to deal with these, A, because yeah. they're smaller, and B, because they're indented rather than um, embossed. Right. Yep. Yep. Okay, not sure how much time we have left, but I will now show you my chess set. Um, Listen this... to that, I hear that sliding over there. That's some good weight to that. Some nice audio. So this is actually technically, well, at least when I got it, a travel size chess set, okay? And it's travel size because it folds in half and you can leave all the stuff inside. Uh, it folds like a oh, book. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm, I like that and clamp it shut together. And actually for this purpose, I am gonna clamp it shut so I can hold it up and show you. Um, this came as a not accessible chess set. It was just a bare bones, regular chess set. And my friend took the opportunity to say, I'm gonna make it accessible for you. So it was really, really fun. Um, he's made the entire board high contrast. So the uh, white and the black of the checkers of the chessboard are, um, not painted on, but they he's dropped some paper on it so you can feel that the black stands up and the white stays in. So when you move your hand mm -hmm. across the board, you can feel the difference right. between the, the ups and downs. Now, also, these have little holes in them, and the holes are magnetic to put my chess pieces on. So that's also a nice uh, detail. Nice, this, very nice. Exactly. I've seen other chess boards where um, they're actually uh, holes where you push pegs in, similar to cribbage, but um, mm -hmm. we are uh, using magnets for this one. And when you talk about the pieces themselves, if you want to compare some of the pieces I brought, um, the black pieces are left alone and the white pieces have little tiny nails in their heads so that you can tell the tactile difference between the two boards. There are also, or boards, two pieces. There are also braille uh, to keep track of the chess grid. There is braille along the edges of the board to let you know when you're at A7 or B5 or you know, somebody who plays chess better than me will know. Uh, so that's pretty much it for the chessboard as well. Any That questions? is really cool. I love it. I love that it was made for you like that and the, the accessibility of it. Because as you said a while ago about everything here, you want to play with speed. One of the things I've noticed playing with other, you know, especially when you play with sighted people, it's lickety-split for them. For yes. us, you have to Not have that so time. Much. And all this is designed to speed it up and give you that ability to, to make everything inclusive. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for uh, taking the opportunity and hanging out with me while I demo and show and tell. It made me feel like a kid again. I appreciate First you demo listening. demo show and tell on the TV <laughs> version of our show. Exactly. Uh, but we will be back next month, same time, the second Thursday of the month, to talk accessible gaming. After the break, we have our trusted weekly roundtable. Kelly's going to take over that one. We'll be back with John Melville. It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. 
Kelly and Ramya return in a minute. Welcome back to Kelly and Ramya on AMI. We're having a lot of fun demoing things here. It was uh, my first demo. I'm sure, Kelly, you'll demo like fedoras or something sometime soon. Um, maybe we can get our gardener Susan Kearney in. One of Kearney these in. days. Yeah. One of these oh, days. Sue's are always fun with all the toys she has. Yes, exactly. Let's go through all our guests who've joined us on collections over the years and uh, make them demo because now we're on TV. But also, food demos. When that's coming up, guys? Oh, got to think about it talk about it <laughs> but anyways it's that time of the day Kels I'll hand it over to you I like the idea of food demos yeah just uh, just uh, bring them down here to London we'll spread it all out and I'll tell you all about it folks it's that time every week uh, now in this segment we open the door for the uh, round table discussion isn't it convenient that we have a round table well it's actually oval just say yeah. it. The blind guy feels it now goes, well, I guess it is oval. Kind of oval. Is a surfboard almost no, like enough not to even qualify close. as an oval? It, like, you don't yeah, think but so? not oval and not round enough to be mistaken for a round table. A squashed oval. It's more squashed, like, a, you know, on the ends there. Right, so that's we'll pretend it's close. Okay, enough, right. Sure. Oh boy, nice to hear that. Nice to get back into the the flow here with the roundtable as we bring a few items together. And uh, the folks who participate never really know what we're going to talk about. I just handpick a few things and bring them forward. And I think it's apropos for uh, with all the changes with us taking a month to get ready to do TV simulcast with AMI audio. The man that we bring in to have a, a quick chat about different things and kind of one of those guys who made sure we have all what we need to execute it and make sure things happened and uh, now help us arrive right where we are now. Uh, I'm talking VP, John Melville of Content Development and Programming over here at AMI. John, welcome and congratulations to you. I think we get a lot of congratulations, but uh, you and the senior management team, all you guys need to be really congratulate as well for the success uh, with this control room available to us, the fantastic work being done in there, and putting us out here on TV and on AMI-audio. Welcome to TV, Kelly and Remia. Good to be back. Uh, um, last time it was audio, and now we have framing up and everything else going on. And uh, uh, I love the graphic for the roundtable opening, uh, you know, all these new things we've got. Uh, mm -hmm. So... It's an exciting week. Uh, this is the first week of launch and uh, day four, right? Yep. So with that being said, John, uh, give us a report. Give us the report card on uh, in your position, uh, senior management, the conversations that have happened. Give us the gossip. I mean, give us the, you're not supposed to gossip, John. Uh, give us the information. How, how are we meeting criterion? Thumbs up. <laughs> well, as you guys probably know, um, the, you know, you usually hear the loudest noises when things don't go well. Um, I have to say that it's been relatively quiet, but in a good way. Um, lots of compliments. Uh, I think the whole production team is uh, is breathing a sigh of relief that, uh, you know, so far, fingers crossed, Murphy is always not too far away, but uh we are we are up and uh, almost a cruising altitude, you know. Um, it's a big step to go from doing a radio show or an audio show to full-on TV. And uh, 
I have to say that uh, give some credit to the uh, the now team who had been doing it for a while already, mm-hmm. um, who had really kind of when they were starting their rehearsals, um, we we saw that things were working as they should. Um, it's very difficult to just start from nothing. And you guys, as you know, have been doing uh, Kelly and Ramia for years on AMI Audio, so. The hope was that when we added TV to the equation that uh, it wouldn't change the show, and I don't think it has. I mean, I I listened to the first show on AMI-audio because that was the one thing I wanted to to hear was, do you guys still have the same dynamic that you had when you were on on AMI-audio? And you're still on AMI-audio, so we're still talking on AMI-audio. But now, of course, there's TV cameras, there's nervousness, there's graphics, there's all kinds of things that have been added. So I think, generally speaking... um, we're all very happy and uh, relieved and love the look. I mean, it, it just, it looks fantastic in my opinion. So, Rum, he said, uh, nervous. You took that away from there, right? That's all you really heard what John just said. You heard him say, oh, well, I thought he was talking TV. about you. So I'm, I'm nervous. Like, uh, Rumya has all that makeup chill, over there man. just in case. I've got the sweat makeup over here, but I told him we don't need to worry about that. I have a fedora on all the time, yeah, just even with sweep the lights. Up the sweat. Got it. Are you uh, soak it all up? Um, how did you feel, Ramya? First, first week doing this, and 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 you know, kind of the John. We know that uh, when we went through rehearsals, there was a lot of anxiety for us, but thinking, where are we at? Our first times of of getting ready to set up a live show, and you know, are we behind? Are we where we should be? Is this to be expected? What we're experiencing, Rum? What what are you feeling now that we're a few days in? Yeah, there's no other really word to describe it other than first, 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 right? Because we had I had the first. Friday or weekend before the the launch and then the first day getting prepped for TV the first day coming and sitting on set and uh, knowing that this is it this is not a test run like we're going to air <laughs> and then um, the first glitch or the first thing going on that we have to figure out and then that first that's a wrap you know like we're done the two hours are over that first day as as Soon as we put that first day in the books, Kels, I think I just physically relaxed. Like, I didn't fully relax until the end of the first show. And when that was over, I was like, okay, you know, I felt like 50% of the pressure was off. And then... A long sleep? Yeah. A long what? Sleep? <laughs> Did you have a long oh, yeah. sleep afterward? Oh, Did my you, gosh. Yeah, because you had so much tension. Yeah, so much tension leading into it. And, and it's just yeah. because it's not even because I, uh, like... John, you mentioned the chemistry between Kelly and I, and that's pretty much all I relied on. I was like, no matter what changes there are, Kelly and I have been doing this for so long. We're friends. We're good. We got each other's backs, and uh, we'll make it through. And it's not that it wasn't without hiccups, you know, but we we made it through because we um, have that chemistry. So, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and I just wanted to add, too, that... Um, I think one thing that we've also got with the television uh, show now is we've got a really fantastic crew working with you guys. Um, yeah. Uh, you, bet. you know, it, when we're talking about chemistry, um, you know, we're, we're, we've, I think, been fortunate enough to take everything you've got and, and the folks that have been working with you all these years on, on, on Kelly and Ramia on the, on the radio show 
And, you know, the, the crew that we've added uh, in, in the control room now, and it's a brand new control room, it's a little, literally like a brand new car, you know, mm-hmm. everything has, even has a new car smell, you know, um, and we've had to learn all that. And I think the, the, the folks that are working there are, you know, a lot of very talented people, good, you know, and, and I, I've been in the control room, I was there yesterday, you know, just watching, you know, everybody doing their work. And uh, it, it takes a team effort to get this thing yes. to air every day. And, uh, uh, you know, I just want to make sure we acknowledge the hard work that everybody's been doing right across the board and on the now team, too, because the, we are doing two shows mm-hmm. um, and uh, we're, we're feeling good, I think. A lot of future plans, too, with that control room. John, give us a couple little tips so people can just kind of picture that space. Can you describe it just a little bit for our audience? How many sure. monitors um, are in there, for example? <laughs> Lots. Uh, I don't know if I've actually <laughs> counted them all. Um, we even have monitors within monitors. Um, we have uh, the way they do it. I mean, in the old days when I used to do it, we had a monitor for every source, right? Uh, but now they can do, uh, you know, what they call multi-viewers, where you take a, you know, a, a giant screen TV, you know, 65-inch TV, and, and you've got like, you know, eight or 12 different screens squares, on right? it. Squares, right. essentially, that little squares. It's like, kind of like a Zoom a call, Hollywood right? square. Yeah, like exactly. a Zoom call. You get six people on Zoom, there it is, right? Um, so there's that. That is what's part of the what we call the front deck. So there's a front deck and a rear deck. Um, and basically on the front deck, you have the... Uh, the uh, pre- preview monitor, and then you have the actual program monitor. So they can preview all the sources that they have coming in. So that's me, that's the next guest, that's graphics, et cetera, et cetera. And then on the right-hand monitor, which is the preview to air, and then the on-air monitor, they're looking at the shot that's about to go to air just to make sure that everybody's okay there. And then they have the actual feed that's going out to uh, distribution. So that's on the front deck. And seated at the front deck, you will have... Um, uh, the show director, and you will have the sh- the show switcher, and uh, hopefully I'm not missing anything. And then you also have uh, a rear deck where we have uh, graphics and uh, uh, the uh, we have the one of the producers, the visual producers on the rear deck as well, and that's the that's Megan who got me on today, um, and uh, they are all responsible for sort of the pre-show prep, etc. And not to forget the audio, which is how we hear all this. Uh, it's in a separate room, and Parker's in there right now um, with the uh, mixing the audio so that uh, all the sources are sounding you know good. And and uh, we actually took over. Um, the space that had been used by voice print so nothing at AMI has ever wasted it's all it's just Mm-mm. change right uh so kelly you worked there back in the day you know you know the space um we all we did was take out the workstations and i saw billy on billy shackleton on earlier you know bill's now uh, at home but he too was in there you know we had a lot of good times in that space and now we're oh, going to yeah. have more good times with our new control room you know and uh state-of-the-art equipment um we went with a raw carbonite switcher with expression graphics um so it's going to keep us going for for many years and we're excited about that now i know other programs when without tipping hands too much or saying too much when other plans happen for live programming the team over there will be added to or whatever is necessary but that control room can work from our office in 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 montreal for example it works there too doesn't it 
Yeah, well, at any point. So what we did was we centralized the the operational piece, which is the uh, the switching that's going on today in the that space in Toronto. But as you know, Kelly, you're in London. I'm in Brockville. Rami is on site at the uh, studio today. Um, but we can do this show from anywhere. But the important thing is that everything is switched at the Toronto facility. Uh, so in future, if when we might do a show from Montreal, or if you guys are on the road doing a live remote. Um, you can be anywhere, but the team will assemble in that space. And when, now what we can do is put the show live to air, uh, which is a big step for AMI because everything else that we do is pre-recorded and, and is programmed to run out in a pre-recorded form. But live programming, we're actually speaking in real time here. So it's, it's live content. And now we have the ability to do that anytime we want. So before we leave this conversation, John, and get to what the roundtable is, I'm going to ask this question. Why would AMI need to do this? Why would we need more live programming? Is that the key? Is it more of our own programming? What would you tell that person that says, hey, I, I kind of miss some of the old movies and things like that that you guys traditionally run? Well, we're still going to be running the movies, Kelly. Um, this is part of something that we're just adding to the mix. I, I think what you're going to see in the coming months is uh, we'll, we'll be continuing with our movies, but we are going to be exhibiting much more of our own content that we create ourselves. So mm -hmm. the shows that people have become familiar with, uh, you know, Fashion Disc, By Hook or By Cook, Adaptable Animals, all of these shows are going to continue to be produced. And there's new ones that we're always developing as well. Uh, the live shows give us the opportunity to speak in real time. So, I mean, you guys know what that means. You can mm -hmm. talk about something that's happening now. Um, and the frequency of the show, too. You're on every day, you know, so people can come and tune in and, you know, they get to know you. Uh, they, you're a destination for, for folks to watch. Um, and there's a relationship that builds with, with, with your hosts, like very one-on-one -on -one relationship. I think we all remember, you know, our favorite DJ or our favorite talk you show bet. host, you know, oh, it's yeah. a very personal relationship, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that live gives us. And, and many of those folks that are watching will probably be a guest sometime at some point too, right? So there's <laughs> nothing right. like actually coming to Kelly and Remia, right? Uh, and, and, and being able to uh, participate in real time. And we'll and seek seeing... you out. Exactly. <laughs> seeing your friends on here. That's the way. Yeah, there's always a collection and a hobby that's, that's a right, you know, segment that needs to be filled. Yeah, I, I still owe Remy that visit. Yeah, I know. I was waiting for TV oh, so yeah. I could show all my stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's got the music <laughs> stuff alone. We'll get to that. Um, the chaos yesterday, guys, in uh, American airports yesterday has been blamed on a computer malfunction that actually began on Tuesday. Reporter Justin Finch has details for us. The first nationwide ground stoppage since 9-11 now traced to an FAA system failure undergoing routine maintenance. A senior official says it appears an FAA computer engineer mistakenly replaced one file with another. The essential system then began showing problems before failing, despite FAA staffers' efforts to identify the issue. We're going to own it, we're going to find it, and we're going to fix it. More than 10,000 U.S. flights delayed and over 1,300 canceled Wednesday. So explain to me, guys. Uh, I'll start with you, Ramya. What does this stuff do? We've seen a series of different things going on uh, through your feeling of wanting to get out there and travel. 
Yeah, this is problematic for sure. And it comes on the heels of a conversation I had this morning with Dave Brown on their show about would I take really, really inexpensive um, flights? Like, there are things being offered where you could go to Europe for a hundred bucks round trip or two hundred bucks round trip. And I'm like, I don't know. It, it doesn't necessarily directly mean that because these uh, options are cheap that they're also inevitably going to break down or problems are going to occur. But it's like, do we have the trust? And I think we're being—we're already coming from a very vulnerable uh, position of all the other things that have been going on the last couple of years where we didn't want to travel at all. So there's anxieties upon anxieties on top of each other. Okay, today there's hearings going on. I'll give John the last word on this uh, flying subject in a moment. Uh, executives from Canada's top airlines and the federal transport minister are appearing in front of a uh, parliamentary committee today to testify about the mess that thousands of passengers experienced over the holidays. Representatives from Sunwing, Air Canada and WestJet are being called to explain what led to the delays and cancellations that affected thousands as a winter storm moved in before Christmas. But it's not Mother Nature MPC is the problem. It's the communication, or lack thereof, the companies had with passengers whose plans were upended. While the president of Sunwing intends to appear, neither Air Canada nor WestJet will be represented by a president or CEO. Instead, they are sending vice presidents. NDP leader Jugmeet Singh says Canadians deserve an explanation and the least CEOs could do is show up. Both companies say their CEOs were unavailable. Stephanie Taylor, The Canadian Press. Ottawa. So, John, very quickly, give us some thoughts here. You just traveled and, you know, amongst some of this chaos going on. Very quickly, yeah. I'm going to lay the blame right at the feet of the the federal government, be that the one we have now or the one we've had in the past. Um, if you look at the the our industry, which is also federally regulated, broadcast communications, we are regulated by the CRTC. We have strict rules of engagement, very strict rules. Um, and, you know, if the CRTC wants the CEO of Bell or AMI to appear, they will appear and they will answer right. for what's going on in the broadcast industry. We don't have that in transportation. Over the years, uh, government regulation has stepped back. There's been privatization. I'm not against privatization, but the, the the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. The baggage mm -hmm. handlers don't know what the airlines are doing. The airport authorities don't know what the taxis are doing. It's just a big mess. And right. I think the government really needs to, and maybe that's what these hearings are, are set to accomplish. John, it, it's not about government John, control. It's about... I, yeah. Yeah. So we got to cut you off. You know all That's about okay. TV. <laughs> Thanks, John, for being with us on the roundtable. Rum? You bet. We're Thanks, gonna, guys. We're going to be back to wrap up the show. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. of Kelly and Remia here on AMI. Thanks for joining us and sticking it all through the show, sticking around and uh, hearing what we have to share with you. And we shared a lot. So let's get mm. to some of these reflections so you can go check them out on your favorite podcast platform afterwards on demand. Kelly? Well, you know, demo, you showed off some game boards and that, but the, the thing that I really enjoyed in that segment, for people who have not experienced any of our accessible gaming, Rumya was what we were talking about, about how 
And we know, and we're big on this show about inclusiveness. And I know as much as I'm not really a game person, how many people tell me they enjoy that? That's what they do. And always people talk about, well, you know, I can play with my family, my children. my, mm. And I find that is the one thing when you guys talk about getting together and carrying on. And, and that's wonderful that you can do it. But the fact that it doesn't matter if you're playing a game, there's device, there's accessibility so that a, a, a blind father can play with his kids or whomever it might be. Yes, that inclusive gaming is so empowering and you can leave these uh, nights, these game nights, not feeling like, oh, I didn't get to take part in this, I didn't get to take part in that, and instead leave feeling like, oh my gosh, I connected with these people um, on that level. And it just makes such a difference. Independently, yes. whether it's cards, yes. poker, whatever it might be that you, you may have some adapting to do, but you're able to do that if that's something you enjoy. Uh, how about for you? What segment do you want to shout out? I love talking to Fern Lullum. Or did about I just her. take it? No, no. No, it's okay. I wasn't going to hype myself up. It's all good. Um, we were talking to Fern Lullum about her road to counseling. She's in the midst of becoming a counselor, a certified counselor, and she's uh, doing incredibly well. You know, talking about that disclosure of disability and also just the progress, the process of everything, going through the schooling, the uh, hours she has to put in with the. Um, not internship, but, you know, like the the work, the field work, and yep. all of the above. So she was very generous in sharing all that with us. We keep posted mm -hmm. with her every other week, and you can check out that conversation by searching for Kelly and Romeo on your favorite podcasting platform. You now, uh, mm -hmm. I, I just want to add Bill Shackleton. Two items that were sent by Brock Richardson that uh, Catherine found for him uh, or found out and passed them on to Brock to give. They were about travel, accessible yes. travel. Really interesting. Check that out too, folks. Absolutely. And you can also check out the best of the buzz, which comes out on the first Saturday of the month. Find out what's coming up on tomorrow's edition of Now with Dave Brown. It's the Friday edition. And Paul Daniel, one of the producers on the show, is here to give us a preview. Hello, Paul. Hello, Ramya. On tomorrow's show, the Friday news panel, made up of Jody Gupta from The Pulse, journalist Michelle McQuig and Dave Brown, discuss some of the big stories of the week, including the federal government's purchase of the F-35 fighter jets for a paltry $19 billion to replace the aging CF-18s. The question is, is this money well spent? Mm. Entertainment critic Michael McNeely will be re reviewing the movie Till, and Karen McKay from the Center for Equitable Library Access will give us her future selections from, from the Celia Collection. This week's theme will be, will be all the books are all relatively new published titles. Okay, Great. well, are fighter jets worth the money we paid for them? <laughs> I'm definitely curious about the conversation on that. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. What if it's just, um, you know, most of the money was spent on the aesthetics? We'd be mad about well, that, wouldn't I, we? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know people will complain and say, well, we can't just count on another country defending us. We need to buy our own stuff. Hey, why are we spending money on that? But with the federal government, we know there must have been a deal somewhere. Yeah. Discounted? Mm. <laughs> well, let's look ahead to tomorrow's show. Friday edition of Kelly and Ramia uh, includes the chatty bookshelf with Ryan Huey, and he's going to come on to talk about a record a record was broken in the audiobook community in 2022. He's going to tell us all the details on that. I'm curious. 
You know, last week we talked to John Beeler and we didn't say that he was in Las Vegas. He'll be on tomorrow with his app update. He'll be recapping his visit to the Consumer Electronics Show in Vegas, where he learned about an autonomous wheelchair being tested at the Winnipeg airport. So cool, Rum. Oh, yeah. There's always so much coming out of the CES. And every year we try to squeeze in as much as possible in 15 minutes and we never get to not even all of what mm -hmm. he brings. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. Have you been following? Uh, not a lot, but okay. we know, as we usually do, so many presentations and you can't cover it all. Absolutely. Well, that's all for today. We're going to leave it there and we'll do it all again tomorrow on Kelly and Ramia. On our accessible gaming segment, I demoed some of the things that I have to make gaming inclusive for the blind low vision community or for me as a blind slash low vision player. And I think that it's brilliant how far we've come. Braille cards, standard, right? Tactile dice, standard. But some of the more custom ways that people are beginning to insert themselves into gaming in an inclusive environment. So with able-bodied folks, with sighted peers. And I think that, you know, you could get as elaborate as you wanted. There are Monopoly boards out there that people have customized. And there's ways that you can play Monopoly without having to customize a board by buying a version of Monopoly that suits you and works for you, like the voice activated. And then there are chess sets of all kinds out there that are, you know, tactile in different ways where the boards are marked up in different ways. And sometimes people just create them. I hear it a lot, a lot more than I used to, where people have created different things. And then there's sleeves, right? Like 64 ounce games creates sleeves that you can just pop onto an existing board game and make it accessible and then pull it off if you don't need it. So I just thoroughly enjoy talking accessible gaming. I thoroughly enjoy being part of group gaming environments. And it used to be kind of awkward to be like, hey, can we, um, do you mind if we use a big lamp with a lot of light so I can see my cards okay? And even that is totally fine. But other times you're just like, mm, let's just switch it out for a braille deck of cards so that everybody gets to play. And I, I think that the more we talk about it, the more we learn about what other people are doing, the more we can take those things into our own homes and feel empowered. The Walrus is Canada's conversation and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts.